Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Tell your chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit penfed.org slash powercash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. I would be very excited to play cowboy, cow cow person. It is Perry here, back with a brand new episode of Ladies Night. Yet another one that I'm very excited about because I have Gail Rankin here, and I'm a very, very big fan of Glow, as I'm sure you hear all the time. But I feel I feel a little bit like an asshole saying this, but I've binged all of Perry Mason. <laughs> 
And I'm like, why, oh, why does that make you an asshole? <laughs> well, because it's, you know, it's a week to week show and everyone's got to wait to find out what happened okay. for so many weeks. And okay. I, I'm here just like, I'm obsessed with all the details, but wow. Yeah. That, that is your performance in it is something else. <laughs> so what we Thank always so do much. on ladies night is we can't just jump right into Perry Mason. We start at the beginning so the first question I have for you is what were you watching when you were real, real young that might've shaped your taste in movies and TV that, you know, maybe influenced the role you pick now? I watched a lot of like classic movies with my mom growing up. I grew up in Scotland and she was really enamored with classic old Hollywood calamity Jane with Doris Day. And um, Houseboat. Did you ever see that movie Houseboat? I've with never Cecilia seen it. I am very aware of it. I've it's never an watched it. Movie. And a lot of westerns. John, like, yeah, with like John Wayne. I used to watch with my grandfather. So it's interesting. I'm not sure if you really put all those movies together, what you get. But uh, <laughs> maybe I'm kind of like a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> beauty okay i feel like that's a good character descriptor for a future film because we've never quite seen anything like that i'm down i'm into it i'm into it i would love to, i would be very excited to play a cowboy cow, cow person i do have like dreams about riding a horse in a film never ridden a horse in my life never once um but in a film <laughs> You know. That is a very realistic dream to have, you know. I feel like you could pull that off pretty quickly. Cool. So, yeah. watching films is is one thing for fun and for entertainment. But what was the, whether it was the film, the TV show, or I don't know, any performance in any medium that you saw that made you say, look at that, I got to do that too. Do you know the actress Imelda Staunton? Mm-hmm. Incredible. Okay. I was probably a little young to be seeing this film, but there's an incredible film called Vera Drake that she was in years and years and years ago, um, where she played a kind of a, a backstreet abortionist. Um, it's not funny, but you know, my mom and I, again, and I think my dad was there too, but we all went to see it and I was just jaw on the floor. Her performances, unbelievable. And it was, you know, it was very dark for a person. I think I was quite young. I must have been in my early, early teens, I think, like to be very clear that like that was what, and, and also wasn't a woman of my own age either. It was really interesting. It was an interesting experience, but I definitely pinpoint that to be a moment where I was like, yep, that's, that's <laughs> the thing. That's the thing. It was a very raw performance. Yeah. Think, you know? Did you find that you had an appreciation for that in general when you were younger? It's like, I think back to me being a teeny tiny child watching Nickelodeon as a kid. So the thought of young you having an appreciation for that kind of performance is unique. The truth is that I was watching Rugrats and Saved by the Bell. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not trying to like play off that like I only watched Vera Drake and like Lars von Trier films, which, you know, is a big part of my taste. But um yeah, I, I think that's kind of how I would describe myself as a child, like quite obscure, um, a bit of a chameleon in terms of like my taste kind of goes all over the place and always has, I think. 
you kind of have that quality in a lot of your work being a chameleon. And I feel like you could even isolate it just to Sheila's journey in glow with what she goes through. So I can definitely see that influence on your work right now. The other big thing I like to ask about in the earlier periods of someone's career is when you hit that point where you didn't just say to yourself, I want to be an actress, I'm trying to be an actor, but rather this is my career. I'm actually doing it. I'm like, has it happened yet? (laughs) Um, No. I mean, the amazing thing about being an actor is that it's such a privilege. It's such a privilege. And so it does feel like every job is kind of like, Oh my God, still letting me do this. Um, But I have gotten, I think, I would say it was Glow. I would say it was Glow around the time of like the first season into the second season of Glow. And I was also doing a play off Broadway um, in between the seasons. I did Hamlet uh, in New York where I live. And it was such a special experience because it was both a really amazing artistic experience and also was like definitely a step forward in my career. Uh, and and doing a television show and kind of promoting a television show and doing this play at the same time kind of felt like, whoa, I'm, this is what I do uh, for my job. <laughs> um, so I, I would say that moment, that time period felt very special. I feel like I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. So excuse me when I go back, but... The start of Glow, I think that was in 2017. And you also had yeah. a couple of bi- big film credits then. So uh, what what was the thing that started to kind of get your name out there more and get opportunities coming your way? Was it specifically Glow or was that already starting to happen for you? Well, I went to Juilliard. I had been really lucky to kind of work with a lot of prominent theater directors. And so in New York, it's an amazing thing a lot of people come to see the theater and so I felt like I was starting to get more opportunities from people seeing my work on stage and that that meant a lot to me because that work means a lot to me and um I really it kind of I need to do it in my life and but I think I I I think once you're given the opportunity of I actually my first tv job was with HBO it was I did a pilot back in 2013 with um, Jesse Plemons. And uh, it was an HBO pilot called The Missionary. It was written by Charles Randolph and Malcolm Gladwell. And it was was an incredible piece that we made. It unfortunately didn't get picked up. But I think like once you're kind of given in some ways, like the the trust of of an institution or a production company um, of that level, like I think more people are more willing to kind of for better or for worse, give you opportunities. And so things started to roll a little bit from there. And I and I um, got a few film roles. I worked with um, Noel Baumbach on the Meyerwood stories. And um, and that was a really amazing experience to work with those um, actors on that film. And yeah. Okay, so I told you I was going back because I did want to ask about <laughs> going to Juilliard a little because as someone who went to film school, I know yeah. as far as behind the scenes work goes, there is a big debate. You know, do you go to school and do you learn about it that way or do you not? And you just get experience on set. I think it might be a little different with acting, though. So what made you think that you need to go to Juilliard and study acting formally before actually jumping into things? 
Well, I, the amazing thing about my experience with Juilliard was that I didn't think a lot about it, which is kind of an interesting intersection between gut instinct and naivete and also just really feeling the need and the, and the desire to learn. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it actually felt really true to me. Like I was really hungry. Um, I don't think I did. And I don't think I definitely didn't like date anyone really, or like do anything that fun. Or like I didn't have a college experience um, when I was there. Um, I certainly had a lot of fun, but it was, you know, it was, I was, a I was a nerd, you know, I, I really wanted to absorb. So that was my instinct about it. It was, yeah. If, I, if that answers your question. If it makes you feel any better, I was 100% a film nerd in grad school and had absolutely no life outside that program and wouldn't change it for anything. No, I feel the same way. I was like, let me just do this. Like, I'm leaving my own country, like, coming, you know. And I definitely, like, dated people, you know. But you know what I mean. I, like, want to rescind that. <laughs> clear. <laughs> Um, when you go onto other sets, you haven't had that formal training. Do you immediately notice when someone you're acting opposite does not have that? No, I don't. I, I really love working with actors from that come from all kinds of disciplines, no discipline at all, or, you know, I mean like no formal discipline yeah. or, or training necessarily. Like, I feel like I have so much to learn from like literally anyone. And I actually think that like, that's what Juilliard kind of taught us as actors, how to show up to an opportunity to making a, a piece of work or art. And the most important skill you can have is being able to collaborate with anyone and also hopefully having your, not, your work not show. So that is also beautiful. So if I was working with someone who was like trained at RADA and, and you know, had a lot of classical training, hopefully I sh I, it would be lovely if I didn't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> kind of how I feel about that. I like that, that way of approaching it. And also, I mean, making movies, shows, doing stage work, it's all collaboration. And if you're not game for it like you are, then what are you doing here? What are you doing? <laughs> so one thing very early on in your resume that I have to ask about is working on Law and Order, because it's almost like in New York, it's it's a rite of passage. So when you get a gig like that, are you really thinking like, I got Law and Order now, my journey has begun? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, what was so special about that job was... Number one, that was actually really my first television job. Um, and and also it was a role that was kind of straddled um, the theatrical world as well. The episode is called Theater Tricks. <laughs> Go ahead and look it up. Um, but it was a really special opportunity. I mean, I wouldn't change it for the world and feel very like I was given, I was, I was passed a... a metaphorical baton in that way and and yeah it was a really cool experience that series really does have that reputation and i kind of love it also looking mm. at your filmography you still do short films which i really admire mm. so can you tell me a little bit about the decision to kind of break away from i don't know big hbo series and feature films and continue to tell stories in the short format 
Oh man. I mean, I love filmmakers and like we were just talking about, like love collaborating with people. And so there are so many artists out there that are making the kind of work that I really want to make. And not that it's, it's, it could be like long form, short form on stage performance art. Like I just don't, I try not to narrow my lane in terms of like what I'm participating in. So I, I try to like whenever anything comes to me or I meet someone that I'm really excited about, like take it really seriously and like look at it for like, what's the story about? Why are we telling it? Like what? And so I've had a lot of really fun and also it's really fun. And it's also just really great practice. I'm also just really interested in making films myself at some point. And so, um, yeah. Writing and directing? I don't know. Um, Maybe, maybe it's still something. It feels even more abstract than like writing and directing. I feel like the the first film I probably will ever make will be quite abstract. It's the feeling I get, and 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 having this time that would end to really kind of like sit and think and ruminate about all the aspects of our lives and how we're living them are included. It's been really fruitful, I think, to like slow down and to to start to like narrow in on like why how I wanna be in the world and also as an artist. I don't know. I am endlessly fascinated by experimental forms of storytelling. Is there any kind of I don't know, like emerging technology or like a unique tool someone out there is using that you're kinda eager to get your hands on in that respect? I haven't seen it yet, which I know sounds really pretentious, but like I think about filmmaking in that regard. Like I would love just to, to use my theatrical background and my kind of enjoyment of like more art house experimental filmmaking and fuse them. And I know that has been absolutely done before, but like in the way I'm kind of thinking about it, I, I haven't quite narrowed in on what it, how it works or what it looks like but I do like kind of that idea I feel like this isn't exactly what you're probably going for but the coolest thing that I've seen that semi taps into that is have you ever tried the the oculus vr headsets like especially the ones that people can buy at home now Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never tried one, but I've heard of them. The the newest one that they released, it came with one scene of Beetlejuice on Broadway. And that was that was probably one of my favorite things where you're you're situated right at the edge of the stage. So it's almost mm-hmm. like the entire ensemble is performing right for you. And I don't know, I, I was kind of like overwhelmed by that. <laughs> I love that. I mean, and I've seen that the way I kind of think about it too is like, cause I've seen, you know, like um, Vanya on 42nd street, like movies of plays being shot, but they're movies. But I also think some filmmakers kind of have done it without even really trying to do it. Like they, they shoot in a more theatrical form mm-hmm. or, or with a more theatrical sensibility. And I'm so jazzed by that. Um, and I've worked on a few films that like shoot, like plays like we shoot long takes it's like way more the like the like european cinema um but i kind of i'm interested in a bit more of a like um look take looking at it from a different different angle 
I think we need more of that. I think that's I how we should talk more about this. Yeah, really. Ideas <laughs> for days. Yeah. Uh, speaking of kind of pivoting to, I guess, musicals in a sense, your scene wasn't a song scene, but oh my God, Greatest Showman. I mean, that is, that's oh. an example of taking like an itty bitty amount of screen time and making an indelible impression. I have to ask, what was it like working on that scene? Because again, Minimal amount of screen time, but it is a huge set piece, and it's an unforgettable moment in the movie. The honor is mine, Mr. Bond. And I've heard all about your little colonel from my friends in America. General, ma'am. You're even smaller than I imagined. Well, you're not exactly reaching the top shelf yourself, sweetheart. from the top down in that cast and crew were so generous and so lovely and so inviting and the spirit of that movie really did like translate behind the camera and like that's the one thing that I will definitely say and I also had like a lot of fun and Gracie the director Michael Gracie like amazing and really was like encouraging of me just to have fun and we had these like dogs that were like falling asleep on my massive dress and like it was it was I loved it because we were kind of playing with tone and they were playing with tone the whole movie and and style and 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 I got to kind of I wasn't doing an impersonation of her you know it was not so that pressure kind of was taken off the table and I got to just have fun so it really was just fun very takes of that of that whole moment where you could play around with different tones and styles Oh, I'm sure someone has those. Someone has those. Like, there were many different laughs, you know, many different lots of things. But it was it was fun. It was really fun. That's the kind of thing we need on, you know, a special features menu or something. <laughs> I don't know. So... Now I got to dig into Glow, and I have many questions about Glow, and we will label anything that pertains to season three with a spoiler warning in case anybody out there needs to catch up. But before I even touch on that, I do want to know what your expectations for Sheila were when you first signed on, because, you know, you're a major scene stealer in season one, but I really never could have predicted how just impactful and full her transformation was going to wind up being. So did they kind of hint at that at all on day one, or was that a complete surprise to you? I know Liz and Carly, the showrunners really well, and I've known them for a long time from New York. And so I felt really lucky to get to be like, again, the collaboration word, um, collaborating with them on this character, because when we start, when I was cast, we were all figuring her out. Um, like the Beth Morgan, the costume designer, um, Teresa Rivers, like Lana and makeup. Like we were all just really trying to figure out who this person, how she, what she looked like, who she was. And it was my job to kind of really flesh, not flesh out because Liz and Carly and I had many deep conversations about this person because I really wanted to make her a real human being. Cause she could have so easily been a character. Um, but they did hint to me, they did hint to me that they wanted to 
have her be a very slow burn. And, and so I was very, always very like on the edge of my seat too, because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't, I was learning all the time, like who she was and learning that she had a Polish last name. And I was like, sorry, this letter that I just got from the props department says that I have a Polish last name. What's that? Like, you know, it's amazing. And that's why I love TV as well. You know, you really get the time to, you know, let a character live and breathe. And I'm kind of glad they took the slow burn approach to it because Mm -hmm. I think that's what gives what winds up happening in season three, a lot of weight. So I think it was necessary in this case. When you guys were trying to figure out the character, was there any particular piece that really helped put everything together? Kind of like, I guess, a break story moment, whether it was, I don't know, putting on the right wig or figuring something out about her backstory that turned her into the person she was at that time. The makeup and the wig were really, really important. I think even for me now, watching me transform myself into her started to help me understand who what kind of a person wouldn't would would do this every day that would put this kind of thought into and I'm sad to say I don't own one of the wigs I wish I did there is one out there that I really want but there's multiple wigs and and but everyone worked so specifically I'm, I'm doing this because I'm thinking of her like pigtails um <laughs> yeah and and there's amazing like very specific aspects to like every it makes me emotional thinking about her you know <laughs> but you know someone that's constructing a physical outside to, to really see what those intricacies were, that was the character building. A lot of the character building, you know, for me. What were the kind of conversations you guys had about, you know, species dysphoria and, I don't know, just the serious nature of something like that, but also the comedic vibe to it? Because I'll never forget yeah. when you guys were first doing interviews and we were even first explaining the show. And, you know, someone would explain it with a little laugh. But it's not necessarily something to be taken lightly, but it is a comedy. So how do you guys find the right balance in that territory? Because it seems tough to me. It is tough. It is tough. And we're... Thank God we're living in a time where everyone's identity and humanity is... should be absolutely taken insanely seriously and with the deepest amount of respect um and so I felt like I had to and I knew I from the very beginning always had to take her extremely seriously and take this very seriously and so I did a lot of research about it and and spoke to some people about it and also spent also actually spent a lot of time with actual wolves because I felt it important to understand why she would pick this animal or not pick this animal, why she was attracted. Cause it's not about picking. It's about mm-hmm. feeling a kinship and a, a deep kinship to the point of like, mad, like knowing that you are from a different species. And so I knew I had to really start to understand what wolves meant to me, Gail first, and then start to like build upon that for, for Sheila. I have a couple of questions, but I mean, this is going to come across like a silly thing, but I mean it with all the sincerity in the world. Yeah. Having played this character and having really tapped into that kinship she has with wolves, have you ever thought, you know, more seriously about the concept of a spirit animal? Someone asked me that the other day and I'm like, wow, like I have absolutely no clue how to answer that question. 
I mean, I think about it a lot. Like, I mean, I know that maybe sounds crazy, but like, I look at animals, especially right now, like just what I was talking about, about this time, especially we just, um, I'm living with a couple of friends right now and we, we adopted a kitten and he's incredible and he's kind of changed all of our lives. And, and sometimes we'll just look at him and I'll look at him and I'll just be like, I love your life. I love the simplicity of it. I'm not inside of it, but I can just having the time and the space to really appreciate his existence. <laughs> um, and, and so not, a, but I have thought about specifically what animal I would want to be or, or feel. And it is full circle, weirdly, a horse. Oh. A wild okay. horse. Uh, a wild horse. What's the reason for a wild horse? Remember a, a mentor of mine kind of describing me that way. And it was always indelibly kind of like stuck in my mind. And I was uh, talking to a friend recently about this stuff too. And she was visiting Montana and she'd seen this white wild horse. And she took a picture of it and she was like, I just found, I just saw you out here. And I was so moved and I was like, there's something quite, mysterious and wild and it sounds like I'm bumming myself up but like about me, I think it is, is there's something about me that is kind of like that and people that know me there's something like gentle but also ferocious and yeah so that not to give too much not to be too vulnerable <laughs> you inspire me to put more thought into mine I always feel like you like I for my personal pets just because they've they have because they're around me they've like adopted some of my personality traits so I oh feel my, like that's yeah well I mean peanut peanut McGee our kitten is absolutely a part of me and all of us that live here. It really does happen. Um, yeah. Back to Sheila, I don't know if this is something you're going to explore in the future. So if you can talk about this, but have you guys ever discussed why she chose to become a wolf to begin with? We never did. Okay. Is actually the answer. I was thinking about it. But we never had overt conversations. I've done a lot of kind of like journaling and like, you know, work on that. And and I think it comes from, and there's some of it that like, I like to keep private, you know, just because I do think there's a huge part of her that is like mysterious and weirdly not to like pivot to this, but it was something that came up when we were working on Perry Mason. Hmm. And obviously it's a crime drama and, and crime is about, eventually hopefully understanding something that happened but something that's so devastating about life is sometimes you don't get to know sometimes why things happen you don't get to know and so I love that about life I, I mean it's hard and painful and kind of mm -hmm. frustrating but it's also quite can be really beautiful so I also kind of love the idea that nobody gets to really know that's, that's a, a very, it can be a very frustrating thing in storytelling too, but it's something I feel like as I get older, I come to appreciate even more because as much as I like a story where it's got like a nice neat bow on it and I can just go on my way. Yeah. I don't know. I just like, I deeply value those movies and those shows that don't give me a clear cut answer. And that's the reason why the show weighs on my mind so much. And I take it with me. Yeah. It's like the complexity of life. 
complexity. For sure. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of that. Um, before I jump into a million Perry Mason questions for you, yeah. um, I just have one more glow question for you. Yeah. What's what's going on with season four? Were you guys one of those productions that kind of had a shut down because of what's going on and you'll pick back up? All yeah, right. um, that's the hope. And we were in episode two. It was kind of an amazing day. We were having such a fun. We were shooting something really fun and really exciting. And of course, we were just like, OK, see you guys in two weeks. And um and and all everyone's life has has really changed since that time. Yeah. Um, but we we still keep in good touch. Um, all the girls and um, and all the cast members and and the showrunners and Netflix has been great. So we're just kind of trying to be safe and responsible and fingers crossed, you know. Oh. Safety first, but I will sit yeah. here probably very impatiently waiting for season <laughs> one. So. Perry Mason, what was your very first impression when the script came your way, especially for you coming from a hit Netflix show and knowing that this was going to drop on HBO at a very pivotal time for the launch of HBO Max? Was that on your mind at all? It was not on my mind, which is maybe it should have been. Um, I was, you know, I, I was approached by obviously my agent and I know the casting director Sherry Thomas very well and she and I have like tried to collaborate on something for a long time and have gotten really close to a bunch of different projects and she kind of put it put it forth to me and I immediately was like very excited um about it and it wasn't totally clear like which role I was gonna audition for but um when Emily became the clear path, um, I made a tape and, and that was, that was kind of it. That was kind of. Just cause I'm curious now, was there ever a possibility mm-hmm. in your mind that you could wind up playing Alice or Della? Not actually, not actually. I think when this, when I was reading the script, like it was quite early mm-hmm. and so it wasn't ever really sure. I only mean it in that way. Um, it wasn't, I wasn't totally clear on which role it was, but like what was so cool about it was that every single role is so strong, you know, and there's such a feminine uh, energy mm-hmm. to the story. There, there really is. I, I get caught up in the idea, especially when I see so many powerful lead performances in a show. I love to imagine the possibilities if everyone swapped roles. I mean, <laughs> like I, I do really want that to be a reality one day where a feature film is revisited with the same exact cast, but everybody is taken on a different role. I mean, maybe that's the experimental film I'm going to make because I think that's incredible. I think about that in terms of theater too, like because of um, like uh, companies, what's the word? I'm I'm, I'm not uh, like a company that a rep company. Okay. Where the company members would hop in and out of um, different, they would do uh, several plays at one time and change roles and, you know. That sounds like it's taking it back to theater. I do want to go back to what you were saying about working with a casting director, though, because I feel like that's something we don't really talk about enough. And I feel like the snow we don't view of that kind of work is actually something that you see in glow where someone walks into a room, you do a quick audition and you walk right out. So what was it like 
formulating that relationship with your casting director? And why is that something important to do along the way? I mean, I, it's an, I thank you for picking up on that because I feel really strongly about this subject because it's also a, a, one of the parts of the puzzle in our business that I don't feel like is given as much um, attention. And I don't mean that in a, in a um, kind of narcissistic way. I mean it in just like a respect kind of way um, because it is an amazing, incredible job. And to put a, a cast together with a director and they work hand in hand, hopefully I'm really lucky to have quite great personal relationships with, with casting directors, both in New York and LA. And, and I feel like they have made my career because they've had my back. They, they, they know me as an actor and, and what I aspire to do. And um, I owe so much to all the casting directors I worked with. Well, the folks that worked on Perry Mason were spot on with what they did here, because really every single person in this ensemble, like, brings far more than I ever could have imagined just having watched the first episode and then continuing on for you, maybe just comparing, I don't know, your first table read with this ensemble. Is there any person in particular that brought so much more out of their character when you hit set than you ever could have imagined? Cause you're also one of the lucky ones where I feel like you get to share like a pivotal scene with just about everyone. Nate Cordry, who plays my husband, is such a number one incredible human being, but an unbelievable actor. And there were a few scenes that we got to do together where he just blew me away and completely gave, gave it's such a generous thing as an actor when you're giving your scene partner everything you've got. And, and it's, it happened with multiple actors on this show. It happened with Matthew. It happened with Julia. It happened with Tatiana. It happened with Lily. Like it literally like, Stephen Root. I mean, literally, I could go down the list. Is my answer. Is my answer. The names that you just rattled off too. It's like I, I don't know. I can't handle it. This ensemble is. And John Lithgow. Sorry, oh let me just. <laughs> John. I mean, John. Do you ever get that feeling where you're kind of like shaking in your boots before jumping into a scene with someone like a John Lithgow? Yes, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. But literally with everyone, what was so overwhelming about this group was like, I was blown away by everyone. I do not blame you. One question about just Perry Mason in general, because we're we're in a time right now where a lot of companies out there are trying to reboot older properties. And mm-hmm. I feel like with some, there could be a disconnect with the audience that made it popular to begin with and the new audience that you have to bring in when you make something new like this. So what do you think it is about this rendition of Perry Mason that is going to appease fans of the original, but also bring in a whole bunch of newcomers? Well, what's amazing about it is a complete reimagining of of the original and also it's um the origin story Mm -hmm. so fans of the original series haven't seen perry mason as they knew him you know and so there's something quite enticing about that for for the previous audience and for the new audience they also are getting to see they haven't missed anything yet you know and it's also being approached and we they Tim's vision for the whole and Ron and um, Brawlin's vision for the whole 
series was to the that the tone be very complex you know it's 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 definitely a drama but there's something quite rooted in 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 old hollywood kind of texture and noir but also it's like quite funny and quite devastating but also with like a really modern slant that you i i can't quite put my finger on it but i think that's why it's so beautiful and sophisticated i can't wait for everyone to see it before, <laughs> before i let you go here um just a couple rapid fire questions because i feel like people need to get to know you a little more oh my gosh dude. i can cross <laughs> off one from my list because i love asking people yeah. if they have a pet and i'm so happy that peanut is in your life now <laughs> I don't know who I was before. I don't know. I That's what happens. So much. <laughs> Do you collect anything? I used to collect bears, like ornamental bears. Mm. My mom actually has an amazing collection of snow globes. So I want to say snow globes just because of my mom. <laughs> it's weird. You, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but there's no there's way. No there's no way you could say ornamental bears and then me not try. Do you see like are where's my bears? right there? These are bears, and I feel like mm. this is what I'm picturing when you describe ornamental bears. I mean, it's not far off. That's weird. I'm more like weirdly smaller, but like yes, that's so weird. Um, I inherited that from my grandmother, so. I, w- I will keep it forever. <laughs> I love it forever. Um, what is the very last show you binge watched? I mean, our household just binge watched The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan docuseries. It's, I mean, a masterpiece. And yeah. I'm not a sports person, but I think it's such an incredible thing. Thank this you. Is an excellent choice right there. What is your guilty pleasure food of choice? mac and cheese from the box it's really good it's so good you're talking like the really bad stuff i have no option which is like it's the really bad stuff though it's like the deluxe like even like annie's like i'm not talking about annie's (laughs) oh oh no you're talking about i mean annie's is great i'm talking about Velveeta. sorry oh yeah oh yeah it's terrible. Or craft, you know. Craft is not really that picky. I'm not actually picky. <laughs> do you act, do you cook anything? I am actually not to blow my own horn, but I'm a really good cook. I'm actually a very good baker. <laughs> so like um, I feel like whoever's whoever you're living with right now is very appreciative of you being in the house because you can cook for everyone. <laughs> well, they're also incredible cooks, but I'm actually I make like lemon tarts and like Baked bread and things like that, and but I'm very lucky here too. John and Megan are great, great cooks. Yeah, I, I should probably take a tip from you. I'm busy making scrambled eggs in the microwave. Everybody knows out there already. I can't help it. <laughs> um, if you could join any major film franchise out there, what would you choose and why? Like a Star Wars or a Marvel? I would love to play a superhero. You know, like. I would love to play a superhero. So I would say, I would say Marvel. Cause like, I really love to dress up and I lo- would love to play a superhero. So yes, Marvel. I would love to start the campaign <laughs> to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, 
a serious one that I, I do like to end on this pretty often. What is the biggest fear that you've managed to overcome? I have actually legitimately been able to overcome a very pretty crippling fear of lying. Oh, boy. Which was a big deal for a while. And I, and I think it came from, you know, work with um, a lot of work within myself, but uh, came from a place of like wanting to control a lot and um, not feeling like I was in control on a plane. And I really struggled with it for a long time. And so I, I knew I was going to have to fly a lot. So I, I, I worked on it and I, I'm, a, I'm really in a better place. And it's one of the greatest achievements, honestly, of my life so far. Like just the fact that I could do it, that I could get there. I don't know. I was, I was proud of myself, actually proud of myself, which felt like a big step. I like that. You should be proud of yourself for that. And seriously proud of yourself for everything you've accomplished that we've spoken about here and some that we haven't. Because I know you have The Climb coming out later this year. And that's uh, very exciting. And then whoever hasn't seen Blow Blow the Man Down, like, what are you waiting for? Go watch that right now on Amazon. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And also, I must remind everybody, Perry Mason, it kicks off on June 21st on HBO. Do not miss that. And also, while I'm at it, why don't you go watch all of Glow on Netflix, too? (laughs) Gail, thank you so much for your time today. And again, a big congratulations on all of these accomplishments. It was was lovely to get to know you more and to celebrate your work. Thank you so much. It was so nice to meet with you and hang out with you. (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed. Big thanks to everyone out there for watching this episode of Ladies Night. Do not leave it without liking and sharing it. And we'll see you soon with more interviews. Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just 2 bucks on the one 2 3 menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 